For God. For country. For truth. For justice. For the Republic. You're listening to the Powder Monkey Podcast on PirateInfoWars.com. Welcome to this episode of the Powder Monkey Podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the coronavirus. Uh, everybody is right now. And so what I wanted to do was maybe uh, bring on someone who, uh, full disclosure, is my cousin. But uh, she's also uh, one of the smartest people I know. And uh, a uh, you know she's on the front lines uh, here in West Virginia. Um, so I thought she would be able to give us uh, maybe uh, uh, some excellent commentary on, on just exactly what is going on with everything. Um, she is a physician's assistant. Uh, she has a master's degree in medical sciences, and she uh, has been practicing for 10 years in family and internal medicine. She's also taught two different uh, PA programs. So, uh, uh, Melissa Jensen, thank you for uh, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. All right. So, um, I, I think it's safe to say that what we're seeing right now is uh, something that we've we've never really experienced. I, I know to a certain degree, but the level of uh, um, precautions and and uh, things that are being taken, I, I think it's safe to say I, I've never seen something like this in my lifetime, and uh, it's it's really had an effect on everybody so far. Um, but I, I guess maybe the the first place to start is. Uh, with the coronavirus, what exactly, when we talk about coronavirus, um, what are we talking about? So that's a really good question because coronavirus as a whole has actually been around for years and years and years. There are several different strains of coronavirus. And before this pandemic started, it was estimated that about one third of just, you know, seasonal colds that people would have were actually due to some strain of coronavirus. But in terms of this pandemic, the coronavirus that everyone's talking about now is a particular strain of coronavirus called SARS-CoV-2. Um, so it's a type of coronavirus. We've seen coronaviruses before, but typically they're mild and they go away without treatment. This is just a really nasty strain of coronavirus 
that's unlike anything we've encountered before. So uh, I heard someone, uh, I think it was Major Ed Dames, uh, refer to this virus as brilliant. And um, he uh, he said, you know, he, he gave sort of a... Um, uh, an outlook that was that was bleak for the time period, you know, for the time being. But uh, you know, he he, you know, with it, um, you know, to hear him call it brilliant, and um, you know, as far as everything goes, I mean, it, it's it's obviously dangerous. We we've seen again uh, the government um, governments all over the world taking precautions like we've never seen. We've seen video, whether we know. You know whether it's it's an actual you know credible video or or whatnot. It's it's hard to tell and decipher because we don't really know everything right now. Um, but what is it that really makes this so so deadly and and more um, you know something that I, I heard um, a gentleman on the Joe Rogan show mention that this was maybe ten times more deadly. Um, and more communicable than the um, than the flu. Um, so, w- what is it that makes the virus so dangerous? So, there are several different things that we worry about from a healthcare perspective when we're talking about viruses or any type of pathogen of concern. One of those is how easily that it spreads. So, the coronavirus, even though they estimate in just a chance encounter with someone, meaning somebody that you run into at the grocery store, not someone that you're living with at home that you're exposed to all day. Right. But in a chance encounter with someone, you have about a 5% chance of picking up the coronavirus from them if they're infected. That doesn't sound like much, but that's a pretty high rate of transmission. So the coronavirus spreads very easily, and it survives well on surfaces, anywhere from a few hours to multiple days. Um, a lot of you know people are getting stuff delivered at home right now in cardboard boxes, and they found that the coronavirus can live on cardboard for at least 24 hours. So even if you're not around people directly who have coronavirus, there's always the chance you could pick it up from some object in the environment from someone who had it. So it's very easily spread. It does have an asymptomatic period where people can have it and spread it and not realize it. That's always more concerning. One thing about the flu is that usually when you have the flu, within a day or so you start to feel symptoms. You know you're sick, you call into work, you stay home, you know the drill. Mm-hmm. But with the coronavirus, you can carry it for up to two weeks and not realize that you're spreading it around. So all these people who are still going out to restaurants, to you know, the beach to wherever saying, well, I feel fine. That doesn't mean that they're not infected and spreading it to everyone else. I've heard someone say that the best thing to do is assume you already have it and act in such a way as if you already have it to help prevent transmission to other people. Right. So the transmissibility is one very concerning factor. Obviously, it is a pretty nasty germ. Um, We do know that there's a lot higher death rates for it right now, depending on the country you're looking at, anywhere from 3% all the way up to, I think, Italy's at 8.8% now. Part of the reason that Italy's, excuse me, part of the reason that Italy's fatality rate is so bad is because they have had their healthcare system overwhelmed. And so if you're not able to provide healthcare, obviously, people are not going to get the care they need and they're going to have worse outcomes. Um, But that high mortality rate, it's not the worst out there. There have been other things out there like the original SARS bug 
and the MERS bug that happened in China several years ago, those had worse mortality rates, but the fact that this coronavirus spread so easily and has a significant mortality rate, we're going to see more deaths from it because it spread wider than SARS or MERS were able to. Mm-hmm. Um, it, now, also, I guess factors like smoking, obesity, um, those those play a major role in um, in things as well, correct? That's absolutely correct. And that's one thing that a lot of public health people are concerned with, with America as a whole, and especially with West Virginia. You know, our population is not very healthy overall. We have a lot of obesity, a lot of diabetes, a lot of smoking, a lot of black lung and other respiratory illnesses from people's professions that they've had. And so we're really primed to have bad episode of coronavirus if we can't contain the spread of a very early one. So, um, you know, concerning that, um, you know, obviously the, um, the I'm going to call it the tweet, the tweet tsunami um, that we experienced uh, over the past 24 hours, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, maybe I would say uh, confusion now and and maybe a little bit of fear uh you know th- as far as everything goes do you believe that West Virginia is doing maybe maybe not I mean are they doing everything they can as a whole I mean I know he mentioned people going out things like that but as a whole from the, from uh, from what you see are we doing are are we are we doing what needs to be done I'm no public health expert, right. but I would say we're not doing everything that we possibly could do. There's obviously still some people who are out and about, and of course, there's always the option to completely lock us down the way China had a lockdown, you know, California's in lockdown right now, um, so we certainly could lock things down further. I mm. think if I, and of course I can't read Governor Justice's mind, I think he's right. concerned about the effect on the economy and right. completely shutting down all non-essential services so i understand why he's trying to walk that fine line but unfortunately you know the old saying that a few bad apples will a bunch well in this case a few people who are still insisting on going out and doing things and living their life may force us to get to that point in order to limit the spread as much as possible right. i know it would be inconvenient for everybody i've certainly got things on my to-do list that i've had to put on hold but if we really want to limit the spread of this virus and make sure that there's available health care when you do have to go to the hospital, if you do have to go to the hospital, then we should definitely consider going on lockdown for two weeks or even maybe for a full month if that's what it takes to continue this spread. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've, I've concern, concerning the danger as well, I've, I've read some things that um, – I'd like to maybe clear up if you know, um, you know, and if you don't, that's okay. Um, but um, concerning uh, things, there's talk of reinfection um, and and maybe some, uh, you know, some some things like that. Um, can can maybe you address um, reinfections? The danger. I know that if you're on certain drugs, that that it causes heart attacks, uh, possibly. You know, there's talks about people just dropping dead, um, you know, in video uh, come from China. And now you see, uh, I believe, people from Italy coming and uh, having some issues. But, uh, you know, and again, it's it's hard. I'm just trying to sift through. But can you can you maybe address uh, the, the issue of reinfection and why it would be so much worse the second time? Sure. Uh, so 
there's very limited information about reinfection right now. There are a few cases starting to emerge from places like Japan and things like that where people have tested positive for coronavirus, then went home, then got sick again and found out. So we're still kind of feeling it. We really have no idea how long immunity to coronavirus lasts. And that's one thing people should keep in mind. I've heard a lot of people say, I almost wish I would just get coronavirus because mm. then I'd be immune. Yeah, and no. we can guarantee that you would stay immune to it. We don't know how long. You know, it's, it's very variable. Some illnesses our body remembers for life, and some illnesses it doesn't. Um, with the possibility of reinfection, one of the big concerns we have is that, firstly, in general, being sick pulls down your body's overall resources. You know, a lot of times people, when they're ill, they don't eat the best. It puts strain on their liver, on their kidneys, on their heart. And so when you're recovering from that, your body needs a chance, you know, to have a healthy period where there's not any strain so you can kind of get back to normal. It's also possible for severe infections to do long-term damage to things like your kidneys or your mm -hmm. lung have a bad case of pneumonia. So if you talk about having a severe illness, you catch pneumonia, you're in the hospital for a few days, and then you get better, but then you catch it again two weeks later, you've already had that damage done to your body, and now you're compounding that damage. So you could see a lot worse illness the second time around. Right. Um, let me clear up one other thing from that um from that conference or from the from the press conference uh, last night the gentleman that he had on and I apologize I, I meant to jot his name down and I got busy um, I don't have any journalistic integrity in on this show anyway though so it's good but um, you know as as far as that goes um, he, he said something like that possibly we our immune systems have a hard time or can't fight this virus what what exactly was he talking about there or did I just mis misunderstand what he was saying you know, I wasn't fully clear on that as well but I believe what he was trying to allude to is whenever our body encounters a new germ that it's never had before, which it makes it novel is which is why it's referred to as novel correct exactly okay all right um, so whenever our body encounters a novel pathogen it has to mount an entirely new immune response from scratch, basically. Mm -hmm. So it takes about two weeks for our body's immune response to really get into full swing and fight that germ off. This coronavirus is new to everyone. So when you compare it to things like the flu, where maybe a three-year-old child hasn't encountered this strain of the flu before, but somebody who's 50, this strain of flu was going around 20 years ago, so they might have had it then and fought it off then and kind of are familiar with it. Um, this is something totally different. So everyone in the population at the same time is having to come up with a new immune response to it. And during that two-week lag period where our immune system is trying to figure out what the best way to fight off this germ is, mm -hmm. in that meantime, that germ is still growing and dividing and causing damage to your body. So we see a lot worse outcomes with people catching a germ for the first time than maybe getting you know, something that was going around years and years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the the fact that maybe that there's possibly two strands and one is more severe and one is is less uh, I guess if you want to call this less severe um, mm -hmm. does that indicate anything to you that we're seeing uh, a variation so quickly um, or or is it quick um, that's really hard to say um, because I've read about the two different strains and 
it's we really don't know if there were two strains all along and mm-hmm. we just picked up on it, or if this new strain has emerged just in the past couple weeks. Gotcha. Knowing that the more people that a pathogen infects, the more chance there is for mutation, which is another reason why we want as few people to catch this germ as possible. Um, and hopefully can get something out there to try and treat this and manage it so that we don't see as many people walking around symptomatic, coughing on each other and things like that. Gotcha. Um, speaking of symptoms, uh, what are some of the symptoms that, that might indicate? I know, I, I think maybe the, and I could be wrong here, I, I maybe should just leave it to you, but I, I, I think they said maybe two days if you if you don't feel better from it, from a cold, and, and maybe two days that you may want to, uh, you know, be checked. But uh, what, what are the actual symptoms that somebody would be able to maybe just kind of indicate that there may be a problem? So the big common ones with coronavirus are cough, fever, and shortness of breath. Um, and it's a really tough time of year to have those type of symptoms because, you know, a lot of people are having seasonal colds it's the time of year for allergies because everything's blooming right now so everybody's got those type of symptoms so exactly. if you have a cough you know or maybe feel a little bit wheezy i would encourage people not to panic because there's a very good chance it could be something much milder like the flu or even just allergies um mm-hmm. we do know coronavirus can cause some other symptoms it's been reported to cause in some people things like runny nose and some people things like diarrhea and stomach upset so it's something that I would tell people if you are severely ill, you know, to say running a fever or having trouble breathing, or if it's something that's just not going away, you should definitely consider having somebody check you out. Now, that being said, they're actually recommending that people don't just immediately go in to see their doctor or go into the ER, unless obviously if, you know, if they can't breathe and their oxygen levels are low and things like that, you should go in. But if you are at home and you're running a fever of 102 and you're coughing and you're like, hmm, I wonder, call your doctor's office or call your ER and find out when the best time for you to come in would be because they only are offering coronavirus testing at certain times right now. And so if you go at 8 in the morning and they're not offering testing until noon, Mm. you're going to be sitting there possibly infecting other people and also possibly picking up some other germs that they have on you, you know. It would be the worst luck in the world if you maybe did have coronavirus, went and sat in the ER for eight hours, and picked up a strain of the flu while you were waiting to get tested for coronavirus, and that's definitely possible. Okay. All right. Now, uh, as far as flattening the curve and, and the two weeks and everything like that, you know, I, I, I made sort of a, I, I guess I reposted uh, uh, a comment uh, somebody on my feed had made about, uh, you know, when does the two weeks start? Um uh, you know, well, explain maybe flattening the curve to people, um, and I, I also maybe I don't know if you can address it, but you know I've I've heard certain people say that this may not be one total curve that we may see actual, uh, you know maybe a big curve and then several smaller curves on down the line. Um, but as far as flattening the curve and you know it, 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 it speak to that if you would. Sure. So the general concept of flattening the curve is all about controlling how many people get coronavirus, how quickly. It's really not a question of if the general population is gonna see coronavirus, it's a matter of when and how many at one time. So we are fully expecting people to get this virus and to have severe courses of it, some of them. So by flattening the curve, 
what we want to do is slow the spread of the virus. It's going to spread regardless. There are some people who just have to go to work, healthcare workers, for example, um, delivery workers, grocery store workers, gas station attendants. You know, there are lots of people who just have to go to work because their job's essential. And so we will see some people out in the public. There's going to be some public spread. There's no way around it. However, if we can keep most of the population home and slow down how quickly coronavirus spreads, it allows us to have a much softer spike in cases. So we'll mm -hmm. see some cases. It's probably going to continue throughout the next several months into the summer and even the fall. We're going to see trending upward numbers of coronavirus cases. But if we can control how many people get sick all at one time, it makes it much more feasible for our healthcare system to manage those people so that when someone does get sick with a severe case of coronavirus and they go into the hospital, there's an ICU bed ready for them if they need it. There's a ventilator ready for them if they need it. And if they can get that care that they need, they're much more likely to survive. So it's, it's really good all around if we can slow that down. If we don't flatten the curve, we get a scenario like what's happening in Italy right now where they don't have the ICU beds. They're having to decide who gets a ventilator and who goes home and dies, basically. It's a very grim, bleak, dystopian sort of way to right. treat treatments, but they have no other option right now because they've just run out of resources. And that's – go ahead. never mind to have everybody sick all at the same time. We just – have the number of beds to handle that. And, and that, I, I think maybe, you know, to his credit, and, you know, I, I like to have fun, but, I you know, I don't really have anything against the man in that respect, but, um, you know, I think maybe what he was trying to say when he was using words like, the, the governor uh, was using words like tsunami and monster, I think maybe he was trying to maybe make an impact in the people's minds that, you know, this, uh, you know, when he says tsunami, that, it does, I guess, what people need to realize is it's not just, you know, one or two people get sick and they go into the emergency room. This is going to hit pretty much all at once due to the, the timing, and then there's going to be an influx of people um, coming into the emergency rooms. Uh, you know, triage is going to sort of, uh, you know, become... You know, and like you said, maybe we start we start to to look at people on on who's most likely to survive. I would assume at that point, and and work from that. And and I guess maybe that's what he's trying to avoid, and and that's maybe why he was using such um, colorful words to describe this this virus. Well, I agree. I definitely think he was trying to impress on people the severity of what could happen if everyone gets sick all at once, because it really would be like a tsunami of patients coming in. And that's really, say, it would overwhelm the healthcare system. And it's important to remember, I know everyone's mind is on coronavirus right now, but there's still people who are going to be having heart attacks. There's still going to be people who fall exactly. and who will still need healthcare. And if our whole healthcare system is tied up with coronavirus, it's not going to have anything left over to treat these people who still have just day-to-day -day illnesses and misfortunes and car accidents and whatever else and still need care. Gotcha. Um, you know, concerning, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the weeks and months. Uh, people, I, I know certain talk show hosts started to, when the president mentioned July or August, um, you know, about a week ago, uh, people s s sort of shook their head and said, wait, wait a minute, what did he say? But, um, you know, what, you know, in the coming weeks and months, um, you know, I, I know that nobody can see, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, but um, I mean, 
if we if we do this right, maybe best case scenario to worst case scenario, or right down the middle of the road. I mean, just just from being sort of on the front lines, you know, the people come into you all when, you know, when when this happens. So, what is your what is your outlook? I mean, what what do you see in the weeks and months ahead? I'm one of those people who likes to hope for the best, but prepare for the worst at the same time. That's great. Um, Ideally, I think, now I don't think that just two weeks of quarantine for everybody is going to be enough to stop this virus. If we shut everything down for two weeks and then go back to life as normal, the virus is just going to start spreading in two weeks. We'll delay it, but we're not going to do anything to flatten that curve. And if I could stop you one second, that, from what I understand, is maybe what we're going to see happen with China again, correct? Since they're saying business as usual again. There's a possibility, and that's where you kind of mentioned earlier that we could see multiple spikes, um, and that's kind of what we might anticipate to happen. If we loosen this social isolation thing a little bit and let people go out there in the population, we may see an increase in coronavirus cases. So a lot of the decisions being made right now are trying to balance out the impact on people's lives and their income and the economy versus the impact on the healthcare system. So I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe this quarantine or this social isolation last for, you know, a month or two, you know, and then they might loosen things up a little bit, but then when cases start to trend upward, they may tighten up and have a brief period of this isolation again. So that's kind of the best case scenario is we might get let out of the house to play in the yard for a little while, but we're probably going to have to go back inside to keep things under control, to keep that curve flat and keep our health care system from being overwhelmed. Right. The the more grim picture that I still think is a very real possibility is that we may have to have just no loosening of that isolation and continue to try and stay home as much as we can for up to a year or a little longer. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing right now that they're saying that has a chance to control the spread of this virus and slow it, since we can't really find a uh, full-blown treatment, although they're looking into that. But they're talking about the population become vaccinated against this pathogen. Mm-hmm. So the time to develop a vaccine for coronavirus and to disseminate it to the population would be somewhere between 12 to 18 months. So we could see a year or more of people having to work from home, stay at home as much as they can, have your groceries delivered instead of going out. And that's a scary thought for a lot of people, but I think it's one of the things that we have to just take one day at a time. Hmm. The unfortunate thing is if it goes that route and we do have to stay home for a year or more, people are going to say, well, there's no coronavirus cases. We're all staying home. But that's how we'll know that it's working is that there's very few coronavirus cases and it slows down. Hmm. So it's one of those things that I think they're going to have to play by ear and just see what the impact on the economy is and how well people follow the rules and comply with it. Like you said, this is something no one's ever lived through before. So... I think that our administration, our state administration, our federal administration are all sort of learning as they go as much as the rest of us are. Um, you know, one thing, is, you know, to go back to the reinfection um, thing, I, I think one thing that's scaring health professionals and people in the know from, from what I'm you know, from, from what I'm trying to glean from, from, you know, talk radio and whatnot is that um, 
they're seeing maybe a parallel with with the Spanish flu and that the Spanish flu had a reoccurrence and then you know during the first uh, you know during the first I guess infection period people kind of blew it off like they did initially with this oh it's not bad it's not it's just the flu it's just a cold and then um, the second uh, occurrence you know, there was a, and I'm sorry, I don't have the, the but it, it's, uh, I guess, even the healthier people that, you know, the, the virus then had a a trait that it would basically attack healthy people and use their immune system maybe against them. And it's, it's called uh, some type of storm. But I, yeah, okay. So might we see that with, I'm sorry, what was that term again? A cytokine storm. Cytokine storm, that's it. Now, might we see something like that with this? Is that maybe what a lot of the panic is, is from as well? There is that chance. Um, the flu is a different type of virus than coronavirus, so that's right. a good thing. But there is always a chance with any type of infection that you can see young, healthy people end up succumbing not because they have any health care conditions, but because their immune system is so good they end up having an uninhibited immune response and the immune system goes too far to the extreme and they end up having such a strong immune response that it starts to do things like interfere with how much their blood vessels are dilated, which in turn leads to blood pressure that's too low to get adequate blood to their brain and heart and lungs and liver mm -hmm. and all these important organs. So it's not, again, this is a new virus. We don't know for sure that it will cause a cytokine storm, but there's always that possibility. And part of the problem is, like you said, with that sort of reaction, people might have had this infection in the past, had immune response to it, and their immune system learns it so that when the pathogen comes back around for round two, their immune system's like, no, you don't. And it has such a strong reaction that they go into this cytokine storm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, let's talk strategies for for avoiding this um you know infection to begin with um you know and, and one of the things is i guess with this you don't think in the now and in the present you have to think days and weeks ahead um to avoid this and and one i guess maybe one chance encounter with somebody could you know you know from that point on you don't become you know, you you become possibly a carrier, and as I understand, the viral—I don't. Maybe I'm using the wrong term, but the in younger people especially, that viral count maybe is is very high, and the infection rate is very high. And again, they're not a, asymptomatic. But how do you avoid that, and how do you stay healthy during this? I mean, what are the best practices? What's the recommendations? So one of the big things, of course, is to stay home as much as you can. I feel like we've already covered that right. because that helps limit your contact with other people. You could have coronavirus for a month, but if you stay in your house and you don't go out and see anyone, it's not going to spread that far, you know. Um, another important thing is to practice hand hygiene because that's one of the most common ways to pick up this virus is to touch something that has the virus on it and then touch near your mouth or your face and the coronavirus gets on your mucosal membranes and infects your body. So washing your hands frequently, staying at home as much as you can, um, trying to limit how many times you need to leave the house whenever you're going out grocery shopping or things like that. And if you do have to leave the house, to try and stay at least six feet away from other people 
because we believe this coronavirus is primarily spread through droplets, which are spread when people talk or cough or sneeze or things like that. Air intake. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but those droplets only spread so far through the air. So right. if you stay far enough away from someone, it should block most of the spread. Now, that being said, there are some sources that are saying that there's a chance this virus might have what we call airborne spread as well, which means that it's spread beyond that six-foot limit. So you can't just go out to the park and assume as long as you stay out away from six feet or six feet or more away from people that you're going to be okay. There is a chance that some virus particles could spread that further. But the bulk of the virus particles should be within six feet of that person that they're infecting. So that minimizes your risk, but it doesn't totally take that risk away. That okay. being said, I do think it's important, in addition to doing things like, you know, making sure you're staying entertained, read a book, watch a movie, whatever. I do think it's important for people to go outside, even if they just sit on their front porch, get some fresh air and sunlight and try to remember that eventually this will be over, whether it's a month from now or several months from now. Sooner or later, life is going to start to get back to some semblance of normal. It just depends on how quickly we can control the virus and how quickly we can find some treatments for it. Gotcha. Um, as far as everything goes, and, and again, you've and I guess all of us, I mean, it's, it's pretty well known. I mean, we don't know a whole lot. <laughs> so, you know, about it. But, I mean... It, you hear talk maybe about things with this. I mean, how people call it brilliant. People say that it is, um, uh, you know, that that it has certain identification. I guess, and this is way out of my wheelhouse, but different, I, I guess, markers within the the makeup of the the. I don't want to call it. I guess it's RNA, but certain aspects where it has characteristics of different diseases like HIV, delivery systems, and whatnot. Does, does any of that make sense? Is that is that fact? Is that fear? Um, is it a mix of that? Or is that something we don't really, we're not really sure on yet? You know, I think it's a little bit of both. I know that people are very concerned because this is a new virus, and obviously a lot of people's thoughts turn to some possible nefarious intent of what if this isn't an accident and just a freak of nature? What if it's happened? I will say that if you think about the traits that a good bioweapon would have, one of them would be that it would be very easy to control the spread of. Mm -hmm. And this particular pathogen where it survives on surfaces, where it spreads so easily, where it's also transmissible by animal hosts and not just humans, so that even if you kept every person in the world in their house, it can spread from person to person. All of those, not being able to control the spread of a bioweapon is a, a bad marker. So I don't, me personally, I don't think it's a bioweapon. I know that there have been pandemics. In 1918, we had, for example, the Spanish flu pandemic that you mm -hmm. mentioned. And that was not, we didn't have the technology to bioengineer a pathogen. It just happened. You know, in the 1600s, we had the Black Plague. And then we didn't, no one engineered that, it just happened. So sure. pandemics do happen from time to time, even without anybody doing anything. And I think this is more likely to be an accident because if they did make a bioweapon, we did a bad job. The mortality rate would need to be higher and the spread would need to be easier to control. So I obviously am not an expert. I can't say mm -hmm. with 100% certainty. I would lean more towards it just being really bad luck that this happened when it did. But I think that as the coming years and, you know, out and when we look back on this in history we'll know more you know as 
time goes on, we learn more about this germ as to how it originally developed and whether it was just a mutation or what happened. Good deal. Um, I guess other than that, um, are there any best resources maybe that, um, you know, if somebody's just looking for empirical data, just, um, you know, what are the best resources out there for, for someone to go to and um, learn more, find out more uh, about, um, you know, COVID and, and the coronavirus? So one resource that I think is really good for people here in the state is the West Virginia Resource um, page. And I'm looking for the address now because I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top of my head and I can't. Um, it's through the DHHR. If you look at the COVID-19 um, WestVirginia.gov website, okay. you can find it. And I can't remember the address. Maybe you can go back in and, and sure. tell people who. Um, there's also a good page from West Virginia University Medicine um, on COVID-19, what you need to know. And they have a lot of the basic information, so things like the symptoms of it and things like that. But they also have updates about what's going on in the state, what policies they have in place for their clinics. And obviously, there aren't any clinics here in southern West Virginia or many clinics from WU Medicine, but their policies are very similar to what the rest of the state is implementing. Um, and then I think the CDC and the WHO websites do have good information, especially as far as like the statistics and things like that go. They're a little bit behind, but I think that they, you know, because sometimes they may not update those for 24 hours. So you might hear a news story that says, oh, there's 12 cases in West Virginia. And you check the CDC website and it only says seven because they only update it once every 24 hours. Gotcha. But, um, I do think they have pretty reliable statistics and information. Okay. Um, a few more things, and then uh, we'll we'll put a wrap on this. I really appreciate. I know that, especially you know, healthcare. You've you you your time's kind of limited right now. But uh, with uh, just a few other things, I'd I'd like to to get out there that Amy sort of pointed out. Um, you know, we're seeing information about Tylenol and aspirin uh, possibly making this worse. Uh, is that fact or fiction? Is there something that uh, is better to use? Um, as opposed to not, and say people who were, um, I, I think Tylenol was maybe something, I, I don't know, I'll let you speak to that, but is that fact or fiction? Or? Sure, so um, is actually ibuprofen is the one that they're concerned with with coronavirus. Okay. And just, well, there's very limited information about it, but there's some studies that say that the ibuprofen may affect a receptor on the cell surfaces that makes it a little easier for coronavirus to get into. To get into, okay. So there's not a ton of evidence out there. They've certainly treated people with coronavirus with ibuprofen, and several of them have made a recovery. So if you've, like, taken ibuprofen this morning for a headache, and then you start having to cough later today, and you're like, oh, no, I'm doomed. I don't right. think it's absolute you can't take ibuprofen. But if you have the choice to take Tylenol, I would probably recommend that people take Tylenol instead just for right now. Um, but that's something really, of course, some people have health conditions where they can't take ibu or ibuprofen or they can't take Tylenol. So I would definitely encourage them to talk to their doctors about that and find out which one is okay for them in light of whatever else they might be taking. Okay. Two last things here. Um, maybe best cleansers or products that somebody may want to, to keep around the house to, um, you know, to kind of stay, keep areas disinfected or whatnot. And what is the proper way to wash your hands, uh, you know, to do that? And 
what's the best song to sing while you while you do that? <laughs> um, as far as cleaners go, any bleach or ammonia-based cleaner should help kill the virus. Depending on the concentration of it, some of those will take a little longer than others. So I recommend that anybody who's using Lysol or you know any type of Clorox product or whatever you're using, read the label because the label will tell you how long the surface needs to stay wet for to kill the virus. A lot Great. of people think if they spray down something and then they run a paper towel over it, they've killed coronavirus. And in factuality, you know, a lot of times the surface has to stay wet with that cleaner for three minutes or five minutes. So you might have to spray it down, walk away, and then come back and wipe things down. So anything with bleach or ammonia is good, um, but just make sure that you're using it the adequate amount of time. Okay. So as for washing your hands, um, the best way to do it is not only to wash your palms. A lot of people remember to rub their hands together, but make sure that you wash the backs of your hands, in between your fingers. Make sure you wash around the beds of your nails and underneath your nails. A lot of people forget about those areas, and the coronavirus can be on the back of your hand just as easily as it can the front of your hand. So you want to make sure you're scrubbing your hands really thoroughly. But if you're washing your hands for a full 20 to 40 seconds, you're going to run out of things to wash. So a lot of times if you just stick with that time limit, you're going to start looking at washing, you know, the backs of your hands. Washing your wrists is another really good one. People forget about rubbing their wrists down as well. But mm -hmm. um, I usually find I like to sing country roads. I sing usually the <laughs> chorus. That's my personal favorite. But okay. All kinds out there. Um, Toto by Africa is another really good one. <laughs> All right. That'll meet that time limit. Okay, very good. Uh, one other thing I forgot to ask, and I think this is maybe very important. It could be a game changer, and I just don't know. I'd, I'd like to maybe know what you know about it. Um, there's supposedly a maybe a cocktail, if you want to call it that, uh, and I'm I'm going to butcher this, but uh, hydroxychloroquine and uh, azithromycin. Uh, yeah. What do you know about that? How successful is it? Um, it? Could this be a game changer? It does have that potential. It's very early days to tell for sure. The main study looking at that particular combination of drugs and how well they worked was a very small study. It was only done on 24 patients. Normally, studies that we use for other drugs have thousands and thousands of patients, so mm -hmm. it could be limited data that we're working with, but there is some evidence that patients who were treated with that showed a better course than patients who weren't. They've also looked at some other antiviral drugs, things that they would use to treat the flu, and there's some evidence that those might be helpful. So, I mean, we are working on medications to try and treat this condition, and there are some evidence, or there is some evidence that certain ones may have some effect against the virus. I would caution people, because I know hydroxychloroquine is a really commonly prescribed drug. A lot of people use it for rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and things like that. And azithromycin is a Z-pack, so a lot of people mm, have got okay. food, not taking them, have them laying around. But the doses we use to give people for rheumatoid arthritis, for example, are much lower than what they use to treat the coronavirus. So if, you're, if you've got some laying at home and you develop a cough and you're like, I might just start taking that, you may not be treating it the right way. Um, they do also have some nasty side effects, especially mm. when given together. They can cause things, everything from retinal toxicity in your eye to an irregular heartbeat. So even gotcha. though I know the temptation is there for people to self-medicate if they think they have it, I would really encourage them again to contact their doctor, get tested if they think they have it, 
um, and then kind of take it from there and make sure somebody's monitoring their treatment so they don't have those nasty side effects because they're not drugs to play around with. They're pretty potent medications. But in terms of public health and finding a way to treat and control this virus, there definitely is some promise there. It'll be interesting to see how things go in the next few weeks as we start to try this in more patients. Very good. Um, anything else you want to throw in there? Anything else you, you feel that maybe uh, needs to be said that I didn't cover or that we didn't cover? Um, there's one thing that I wanted to mention with testing we didn't quite get to. Okay. That's that a lot of people, whenever they get a cough or feel like they might have this virus, they're wanting to go in and get tested, which I totally understand. I would encourage people, though, to keep in mind that we have a very limited number of tests right now. We can't test everybody who has those sort of symptoms. So if you have mild symptoms, like right now, both my kids have a runny nose and a cough. Mm-hmm. It well could be coronavirus because coronavirus has been shown to be very mild in children. Right. I really have no idea. But I'm not going to take them to get tested because they're not running a fever, they're eating and drinking just fine, they're playing, they're acting like themselves. So even if they did test positive for it, it wouldn't change anything about what we're doing with them right now. We're keeping them home, we're watching their symptoms, they seem like they're feeling okay. So even if you think you do have the virus, unless it would impact whether or not you went into work or unless it would impact your treatment in some way, you don't necessarily need to be tested for it. The best thing is just stay home if you think you're sick and then call your doctor, talk to them, and you guys can work out whether or not you really need to be tested or whether or not you just need to chill at home for a couple of weeks until your symptoms go away. Awesome. Well, Melissa, I greatly appreciate it. Um, you know, uh, expect a lot of calls. You're probably going to be uh, maybe moving on to the talk circuit now since you've uh, graced <laughs> this podcast. So. But uh, I really uh, appreciate your time today in all seriousness. Uh, you know, I know that that's something that, uh, you know, in the healthcare especially, you don't get a whole lot of. But um, thank you for coming on. And uh, maybe as this progresses, uh, we might reach out to you and maybe get updates and uh, maybe a little little, little more info as, as this progresses. So. Sure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much. You guys stay healthy. All right. You too, Melissa. Thanks so much. Shrines on our head. Phenobarbital makes us dead. To heaven's gate, we will go. To climb a for God, for country, for truth, for justice, for the republic. You're listening to the Powder Monkey Podcast on PirateInfoWars.com. Ah!